This is the Podcasters Club, brought to you by Precision Podcasting. I am your host, Kane Power. This episode, I've got something very special for you. I set out wanting to discuss the software that we use to record podcasts, highlight the main options available, give a bit of info on each, and go over some of the advantages and disadvantages of each program. But I thought that would be incredibly tedious and wouldn't be much of an enjoyable listener experience, which is what we're all about here. It also seemed like a whole lot of research and testing, basically way more work than I wanted to do. So I thought, why not get other people to do it for me? I put out the call to a wonderful online community of podcast professionals, and now I have seven experts who are each going to give a brief overview of their editing software of choice. And I'm going to talk about mine as well, since I think I qualify as an expert. The technical term for the type of audio editing software we're going to talk about is Digital Audio Workstation, and we in the industry use the acronym DAW, D-A-W. My guests and I are going to cover the eight most popular DAWs for podcast editing. Audacity, GarageBand, Adobe Audition, Logic Pro, Reaper, Pro Tools, Hindenburg, and Ableton. And for all you out there who are warming up their fingers to type a furious email informing me that, in fact, I've missed their favorite door or that I should have included something else on the list, don't let me stop you. Email kane at precisionpodcasting.com and let me have it. Studio One, Wavelab, Cubase, Pyramix, FL Studio. If I get enough emails, maybe we'll do an obscure doors episode. That's right. I just called your door obscure. Come at me. Anyway, I asked our experts 10 questions. What digital audio workstation do you use to edit podcasts? How long have you been using it? How much does it cost? Do you use any other doors? Why did you choose this door for editing podcasts? What are some of the biggest advantages and what are some of the biggest disadvantages? Why is this door better than other doors? Share your top tips for editing podcasts in this door. And if this door became unavailable, which would you switch to and why? Some of their answers cover multiple questions, but it all makes sense and you're going to get the info you need. You'll find links to all the doors and all the guests and all the websites and all the social medias in the show notes for this episode. It's a big one. So, Let's cover the free doors first. To kick us off, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Stewart, to discuss the most popular free door of them all, Audacity. Hi, my name is Steve Stewart. I am a full-time podcast editor by accident. I edit podcasts for mostly people in the personal finance space, which was my jam before I started editing for them. So I, I know my clients well because I used to be one of them. My main editing workstation is Audacity. I've been using it for longer than podcasting has been around. I may have been using it since it came out in uh, mid-2000. I can't remember the first day, but I do remember that I've been using it a long time. I used Audacity to record vinyl from a turntable through a sound card on a computer so that I could burn it to a CD. That's how long ago I was using it, before podcasting existed. 
Audacity is a free program. It's been a free program since they released it. They wanted it to be free. Most of the people who developed it wanted it to be something everybody could use. In fact, it's one of the only true cross-platform programs that are out there because not only can you use it on Macs or PCs, Windows machines, but you can use it on Linux machines. I chose Audacity to edit podcasts because it's what I knew. So when I started my own show in 2010, it was just what I gravitated towards. I already knew where all the buttons were. I already knew how it worked. So I was just able to start up a podcast with it. And I heard of other products like GarageBand, but GarageBand was a Mac-only product. I needed something that I could use on Windows. So that was one of the reasons why I stuck with Audacity because I knew it. And I could use it on any machine. Some of the biggest advantages to using Audacity is it is easy to learn. It does look a little archaic. It does look like it was built in the you know 2000s, but it's got tons of features. I just learned about the karaoke feature the other day, which I don't think many people would ever use, but it's interesting. And what's really great about using it for podcast editing and post-production or even just recording podcasts is those features that are there, they don't get in the way. When you're looking to do something in Audacity, the features are usually the ones that you want to use are right there. And then all the other stuff you might dig for a little bit, but they're pretty much not in the way. And I love that it's just that easy to, to understand and learn. And you don't have to relearn anything. Once you learn it, the features pretty much stay the way they are. I mean, they've only updated the program 16 times since 2012. That's all the updates they've done. In fact, it was... Uh, version 2.0 that they released in 2012, and they just released version 3.0. Some of the biggest disadvantages, and this is one that most people will gripe about, is that Audacity is a destructive editor, meaning you can't go back and undo things once you save it. The interface is kind of clunky. I mean, some people will say it, and it really is. If you're comparing the interface to other DAWs, to other editing programs, it is ugly. <laughs> it doesn't look like, I mean, GarageBand looks prettier than Audacity, for sure. But because it's free, there's a lot of advantages to that, and that's why you're not seeing all these interface changes and upgrades. Uh, and a third reason why there's a disadvantage to using Audacity is that because it's free, many are under the belief that it's inferior. To other podcasters who use Audition and Pro Tools and these really high-end products, which do a lot more things, you know, we look at Audacity and think, well, that's inferior, that's unprofessional. I'm not going to claim that Audacity is better than other DAWs when it comes to podcasting, but it is just as good when you consider there are pros and cons to every DAW. It keeps its own. The popularity is there mainly because it is free. It is easy to learn. I wouldn't say it's better than others. And there are things, there are shortcomings that I have to overcome with you know additional plugins, other software, but I can't claim it's better. I just say it's, it's going to keep its own against some of the top DAWs out there. The top three tips for Audacity is make sure you install the FFmpeg library. It's an additional feature that you need to get from uh, the Audacity website. It's going to allow you to easily drag and drop or open all kinds of file formats that you couldn't do if you just natively install Audacity. So you can strip the audio out of video. And that's something that a lot of us need to know how to do now, since a lot of interviews for podcasts are recorded on Zoom or they're recording full feature video for YouTube, but then they want us to use the audio for the podcast. That's one. A second one is you can customize the keyboard shortcuts, the hotkeys. You can customize them any way you want. And that's probably my biggest tip right there is to save you time, customize the keyboard, 
to what you want. I have my left hand on my keyboard and all my shortcuts are pretty much everything there on the left. And then my mouse is my right hand. It never leaves. And that means I don't have to hunt and pack for things. I can keep my eyes on the screen, hit a key with my left hand while keeping my hand on the mouse and moving to the next spot without missing a beat. So customizing keyboard shortcuts, that's number two. And then number three is a feature inside of Audacity, which I know there's other types of things in other DAWs. Within Audacity, it's called at zero crossings. This is something that makes the cuts that you make cleaner. If you don't find the exact right spot, if you're trying to edit, somebody says, so, uh, so, and you want to make it just one so, the two so's you got to come in half. And if you don't select the right areas, there could be a bump. Or if you're cutting out an um, and the um is starting to lead into the next word or trails out of another word, you might hear a bump. Well, if you use the at zero crossings feature, which of course I use a keyboard shortcut for, then it adjusts the boundaries of your selection on the screen ever so slightly to where they match at the zero line, the zero decibel line. So if you got one selection, the very beginning is above zero decibels and the other one is below you do this at zero crossing, which for me is just hitting the letter Z on the keyboard. It adjusts those boundaries, matches them up. So then when you hit delete and it brings the two together, they match up perfectly. And the way I describe it is if you're walking down the sidewalk and one of the, the slabs is up and the other's down, you're going to trip, you're going to feel it. But if they're all lined up evenly, you're, you're going to keep walking without any problem. And it's kind of like that, but for audio, for listening. I've thought about what would happen if Audacity was no longer available. Or if I had to start paying for it, would I go to something else? Because I don't want to lease software. So I wouldn't go to Audition. I think there's a lot of great things in Audition, but I would go to Reaper or Hindenburg for a couple of reasons. One, they both have great features. Two, they have great interfaces. And three, I prefer to buy things and not lease them. So Reaper, Hindenburg, those two things, I've been very interested in a long time. They each have their own unique, helpful tools that are different than other places and uh, there's also a lot of great support out there, not just from the, the companies themselves, but from uh, communities. Thanks, Steve. If you're listening with the intention to become a podcast editor for other people, go check out Steve's website, the Podcast Editor Academy. You'll find the link in the show notes. Next up, we have Stevie Manns to tell us about the other free door and one that's exclusive to Mac, GarageBand. So my name's Stevie Manns. I am a podcast coach, consultant, slash editor, all of the above. And I really got into podcasting when I started my own podcast a couple of years ago. But prior to that, I was a radio presenter. I started off my career in radio maybe 10 years ago or so. Right now, I use Logic Pro to edit my podcast. And I've probably been using it for the last six months or so. Logic Pro is wonderful. I actually really, really like it. But it is the big brother, if you like, of GarageBand. And I started out using GarageBand. It's a really simple user interface. That's one of the reasons I really like it. And Logic Pro, it doesn't look that much different. It just has some slightly better features and it's slightly easier to use. As a podcaster, I used GarageBand for about a year and a half, actually. I found it to be really easy to use and that worked well enough for me that I didn't really need to upgrade at that point. So GarageBand is free and that's one of the primary reasons that most people go for it. And if you get, if you have a Mac 
you know, any Apple product for the most part comes with GarageBand now, and it has done for a long time. So it is built in with the hardware that you already buy. So it's it's there, it's accessible, you can play with it. There is no subscription to use it. It's entirely free and I find very, very user-friendly. I had already used GarageBand as a musician, so I was already familiar with it. And then when it came to considering podcasting, I did have a look at a couple of others. I downloaded Audacity, and quite frankly, it's ugly. I did not like it at all. And GarageBand was something I was familiar with. It really didn't take me long to learn. It's it's very user-intuitive, so I just stuck at it. Some of the advantages of using GarageBand, I think, one, it's, it's super easy to learn. It's really intuitive. And if you are going to upgrade and take your podcasting a bit more seriously, it lends itself incredibly well to Logic Pro. I do find it visually much easier to use. I like that you have knobs. You have these little knobs that you can play with and adjust and you can see where they are on like a mixing board. You can create that. And that's a personal choice. But I I've just never like kind of changing numbers in something. I think numbers don't really mean anything to me. If you have the visual of like how high or, or low something is on a dial, I find that easier to visualize in my head. Some of the disadvantages for GarageBand, it is the little brother to Logic Pro. Apple does want you to upgrade and to buy Logic Pro. So what they do is they've taken out some of the easier features. So that's probably my biggest bugbear with it. I think GarageBand is better for starting out because of the the ease of use, quite frankly. I tried to use Audacity and I've used Pro Tools. You know, I've used GarageBand, I've used Logic, and it just was not super user-intuitive. GarageBand is literally meant to be picked up and, you know, you plug something in or you just sing into it and it's super easy to use. That's as easy as I think it should be. And you can make, I think sound can just get a little bit more complicated once you start to learn about equalizing, but it should be easy to use when you're starting out. And I just haven't found some of the other ones to be that easy. My top tips for editing GarageBand, okay. Get some good plugins. I think if you're going to edit in GarageBand, it doesn't have some of the best noise tools around. You know, it doesn't have sibilance or it doesn't have noise reduction. It does have a noise gate, but it's it's not great. So I would invest in a couple of plugins that you're, you know, you can get them on Isotope and they'll probably cost you in total maybe $75. But it's one of those. I find that if you have good audio quality that it's going into GarageBand, if you've got a good quality microphone, your room is treated, you probably don't need to do too much with it other than equalize the audio. Oh, and I guess the third one is probably around the way that you organize your tracks. I find GarageBand really easy to use. You can color code everything. You can even have little icons for certain things, which I think just makes it fun. A massive thank you to Stevie for reminiscing about using GarageBand. You can find Stevie at steviekent.nyc. Right, those are the free offerings taken care of. Well, that was a freebie. (laughs) But don't switch off. Free software is great and all, but it's totally worth your time to hear what the rest of the experts have to say about their favoured doors. One of these platforms might make more sense to you and be well worth the cost. I mean, it's one banana, Michael. What could it cost? $10? Next up, we've got Jenny Rand-Stotrup dropping some enlightenment about the audio editing offering from Adobe, Audition. I am Jenny Renstatrup, and I am the owner of Gritty Birds Podcasting and the Podcasters Forum. I've been podcasting now for eight years, and I've had my show for six. 
I use two of them to edit my podcasts. I use Hindenburg, which I've been using for five years, and I use Audition, which I've been using for three years coming up. So Audition, I actually have Suite. I had used Photoshop and Lightroom before Audition. So I was at Podcast Movement and they had the three-month deal. I also really wanted to have deeper plugins and I didn't own any myself. I think alone it's $20 a month. And I've really loved having the 50 because there's you know, just a bunch of different tools I can use if I'm creating media that are a little more fine-tuned than some of the Flash programs that exist. So about $20 a month if you're just using the basic for audition, and then it's, I think, $55 per month if you're going sweet. You asked me if I use any other DAWs, and I do. I use Hindenburg, and then I use video processors too. And then I also have both Audacity and GarageBand because those are free apps. Very specifically, a lot of newsrooms used Audition, so I wanted to be able to gain that. But the app itself has a really good set of plugins that it naturally builds, including some like denoise, et cetera. They've got a noise remover that I really like, and it paired with the Waves and Isotope plugins that I have is really powerful for cleaning. The other part that I really like about it, it has like a waveform and a main editor, and I just like the layout and everything as far as just the use. And the final one is they have a fantastic music extender that will help you with your clips. And I do a lot of sound design, so that becomes very helpful. The biggest advantages I think are actually the suite. Creative Cloud is kind of like a a weird virus, though. Once you get into Creative Cloud, like everything is connected to it. So like that's the bad part. And I know that's probably next, but I have to preface it because it is like a thing. But the good part about that also is that it can cross devices. It can come from different places. It goes, you know, cloud-based. So I feel like a little more protection in how it's saving things because it's like built into the system. So for example, like if I'm using anything in the cloud for video, this is actually a huge one. I can edit in Premiere. Then I can go ahead and do the audio cleanup in Audition and it sends it right back. And so I can do that final and last in any of them that I'm doing. I don't have to worry about moving anything. It's just really easy. So I love that I can have that capability and that flexibility between their cross platforms as well, where other DAWs, just by design, they don't have that cross platform. So I'd say that has been like the number one benefit because I can use them between all of their platforms. Well, first of all, of course, that like 20 bucks a month. So, you know, like if you're using any of the other DAWs, you have like one set cost. And when we're looking at podcasting, there's always going to be costs. But like which ones do you really want to invest in and which ones are something you can just skip for now, right? And that $20 a month might mean that you don't play with Descript and that could be a really helpful tool for you. Or it might mean that you're not having a social scheduler. Well, that might be a really good tool for you. So I think it comes down to what is like best for you at that moment and what you want to invest. Cause I've, this is the first time I've had a subscription for a DAW and I do feel a little weird about it. Cause it's like, then I don't have it anymore. And I've experienced this with word before where I used word for so many years. And then I'm like, well, I guess I have a Microsoft like now, because that's the only way I can open all those docs, which is dumb. So we, we kind of get stuck in our membership 
platforms in those cases, like tied to them for life. Otherwise, we need to export every one of those spaces. And obviously, in podcasts, it's a little different, but your sessions are going to be safe that way. And I really think it's wonderful to save your sessions. Um, early on, I had a couple accidents that I made with the cloud as I was trying to get it right. And there's some old sessions I feel sad I don't have because uh, you save them all to the same place. But when you don't have that DAW, you still you can't open them or logic sessions that I couldn't know because like it's an old version or I just don't have it. So when you're working on a subscription, I think that's actually the biggest thing besides just the money is you're latched and tied in these sessions to something that just isn't going to open. So unless you're exporting, of course, into another like DAW, which is a whole step that you're going to, if you do it today, thinking about a year from now, often that isn't what you are prioritizing in your workflow, but you, you could, but like nobody does that. <laughs> for podcast editing, they really make it for podcasters and they have a really sweet little tutorial set up that is the beginning. So if you follow those, you can learn pretty much a lot of the stuff you need because it'll get you going. And if you want to go deeper, obviously they don't have like everything in there, but it is nice to walk in immediately and push a video within app. So they do try to make it simple for you to use. And like there aren't other DAWs that you're in app and it sends you a link. And their customer service is like, they're a system. Like anytime you're investing in a system, you hope that it has the response to it. And they do. And they, because they want to grow their platform and they want to change things. And like, they've tried different things. They've added different buckets and various things that, you know, make it easier. And they've met with the podcasting world and they've been engaged with them for several years. Their team is fantastic. So I've really enjoyed when I've gotten to hang out with them. And I think that's key when you think about anything in the industry, which is something I really value, is taking a look at the people who are invested in the podcasting industry, not just what is the free app. Because I do think there is an ethical choice about what you're supporting and how you're supporting it. Number one, like get a good SSD drive. And I say that because uh, the first thing that everyone that I meet when I have a session is, okay, well, let's, I want to take a look at your hard drive right now. And most of them, it's already unusable. So like I had a session with somebody I started last month and I said, we cannot open that program. Your computer will crash. You have five gigs to run on right now. And that isn't possible. So like that was where we started. And that's same with editors. It's like, make sure you have enough to run look at your computers and have those specs. Right. Because once you're there, that's everything is a lot better, but like that's number one. The second thing would be to just really get to know your shortcuts and like start using a timer app so you can really have a good concept of your editing and find the ways that work for you. So like me, I work well with the Pomodoro. That way it doesn't burn me out and I can get up and I can stretch. So that really, really helps me as an editor. I'm an experimenter as an editor. Yes, Kane. What's a Pomodoro? Oh, Pomodoro is the 20 minutes on, five minutes off or like, you know, 45 minutes, sure. you take like a 15 minute break, you take like small breaks. So it just helps people with like focus so that they're not like me because I have ADHD, I'll get hyper focus. And so I could go for three hours, but then at the end of that three hours, I'm like the person who just edited straight for three hours where I can't do much afterward. But if I do the Pomodoro, I've got a longer day because I actually like looked up and saw that there was an outside. <laughs> 
Well, immediately I would just go over to Reaper because it has the deeper level of things. I still wouldn't go to Audacity because I still don't love it because of the fact that I could still do all the presets and things like, I like using things that have a stronger, that are closer to music DAWs. And during that time, I would learn Pro Tools. So it would be one of those things where I'd like, I could transfer there right away and then I'd be learning Pro Tools. Thanks, Jenny. You'll find more of Jenny over at Gritty Birds Podcasting. Now we're going to hear from Matthew Sturkenberg about a door that holds a tiny place in my about a door that holds a tiny place in my own heart. Logic Pro. Okay, hi, I'm Matt Sturkenberg. I've been in audio for 20 plus years. So I use Logic Pro, which is Apple specific. They created it, so you can't use it on Windows unless you cheat the system. I've had it for 12 years, something like that. What I love about Logic is it's a one-time fee. I don't like subscription-based stuff, so I'm one to hunt something out. Uh, Logic's about 200 bucks. That's lifetime. You can have it on multiple machines. So as you grow or upgrade your computers, you don't have to worry about buying another one. You can just switch your license over. Is that like a perpetual license? Do you continue to get Logic updates or is it just a one-off thing? Yeah, no, as it grows, they send you updates. You never have to repurchase. I've tried a few. Um, I really haven't found one that flows. I've kind of gotten into developing and educating for podcasters. I want to do a trial run on every DAW out there and just record myself doing an edit on each one and see how I feel on it. But I haven't really dove deep into anything. I've dabbled in multiple, but no. Well, it kind of chose me. I had it and I'm a creature of habit. So I used what I had. That's how I started. Um, I reached out to a podcaster said, I love your podcast. I can help you. Can I help you? <laughs> and that's what I had at the time. So I tried it in that. Um, I've played with different workflows. Descript, I'm sure every podcast editor or even podcaster knows about Descript. It's great for certain things I find, but I still will default back to Logic. Logic is great for someone who isn't just doing podcasts. Like I'm a music producer and recording studio as well. So that's what I love is the flexibility, the built-in samples and instruments and stuff inside it that come with the program. You can't beat it. I don't think there's anything like it out there. So that's where I would say if you're doing more than just podcast editing, you can't beat Logic. You're stuck in the Apple ecosystem. If there is a disadvantage, <laughs> no, some of the workflows are a little clunky. Um, and I've heard others complain the resolution of your waves and stuff aren't as detailed as they are in other DAWs, but it's what I know. So it works good for me. <laughs> the first thing I do whenever I bring a track in is you can normalize all your audio. So you get your levels set and you can choose to set it to a certain dB level or to a clip level so you can have it where it will find the peaks and it will say that's the highest your peak will go and adjust your volumes according to that that saves a ton of time because then you're dealing with all the same volume stuff coming in your marquee tool is your best friend in logic you can change what tool you're working with just by holding a different key or you can toggle through different key commands so i'll run my pointer on my primary cursor 
And then I'll cycle between that and marquee tool, which allows me to do, you can do all your fading, all your cropping, all your clipping, everything with that tool. It's kind of a smart all-in-one tool. Templates, you can't beat templates. Um, So when I have my weekly podcasts that I work on, I have my template that has everything that's set in stone, your intros, your outros, your welcomes, all that stuff already built in, then I can literally just take the new interview or content, I can sync it all up, and then I can just chop from there. And I just work from the front to the back. You don't have to rebuild the whole episode every time. If Logic was canceled, I think I already mentioned it, but I would probably look seriously at Studio One, which is the PreSonus studio. Um, I've heard good things. I've worked on PreSonus software and hardware before, and it has a fairly good workflow. There's a few things I don't like about it, but that's probably where I would go. I've also considered Hindenburg for podcast specific because it's got a great workflow for spoken word stuff. And with that, you have heard about both offerings from Apple. Thanks, Matthew. You can find more of him at Heartsong Studio. But now, forget all you've ever known about audio editing software. And forget everything these other fools would have you believe. Because now, I'm going to preach about why Pro Tools is the greatest door of them all. Oh, hi there. My name is Kane Power. I've been an audio engineer for 17 years, and I run Precision Podcasting and the Podcasters Club podcast. I use Pro Tools to edit podcasts, and I've been using it for around 16 years. There are three pricing tiers. Pro Tools First is free. Pro Tools Standard is $200 US per year, and Pro Tools Ultimate is $500 per year. It is cheaper if you're a student or a teacher. I don't use any other doors because they're all inferior and for plebs. I know this because I've tried most of them. I chose Pro Tools for podcast editing because, like most of the other experts featured in this episode, it was what I knew when I started podcasting. I've been using it 8 hours a day since 2009, so everything else seems slow and clunky and difficult and weak. The advantages to Pro Tools. Well, it's super powerful and can do almost anything you want it to. It's the so-called industry standard, which is just good marketing if you ask me, but it's true that most recording studios around the world use it, which can come in handy if you're dealing with those types. It does allow you to be extremely precise with your editing. The tools all make sense, and it's great for mixing. There are no disadvantages. (laughs) No, there are. The biggest disadvantage is the Avid ecosystem. Avid are the company that owns and develops Pro Tools. They manage to make everything super confusing. They're difficult to deal with, and they have terrible customer service. Avid forces you to use a flash drive called an iLock, which is to store all of your licenses on, which many people moan about, but personally I've had no issues with. Pro Tools is also a bit buggy, depending on your operating system, and will have errors or crash at random intervals if you're having compatibility issues, which are common. Pro Tools is also expensive. 
Pro Tools is better than all other doors because it's just so much more advanced and honestly, none even come close. Other doors do do some things better, but overall, Pro Tools is the cleanest, most comprehensive door available. Some of my top editing tips. My first is the same as everyone else. Get to know your hotkeys and shortcuts really, really well. They'll save you a ton of time. My second tip is to learn to use the multi-tool as standard. It's like a hand for me at this point and much faster than switching between tools all the time. Use your audio suite plugins if you're running low on CPU. Save your sessions as templates and learn to import session data from other sessions that use the same basic tracks. Super handy. Also, learn the stock plugins well before you go looking to buy others. They will get you further than you think. And my last tip for using Pro Tools to edit podcasts, read the manual. If Pro Tools became unavailable tomorrow, I'd switch to Reaper. I've heard lots of good things. It's cheap, customizable, and powerful. And on that note, next up we have Daniel Abendroth talking about Reaper. I'm Daniel Abendroth. I am the founder of Roth Media, which is a podcast service provider management company, whatever you want to call it. I've been helping podcasters create their podcasts since 2015, and I've been using Reaper since about 2016, 2017, and have started a Facebook group and a YouTube channel dedicated to helping others use and learn Reaper called Reaper for Podcasting. It's a one-off payment of $60 for almost everybody, unless you're like a corporation or something else, then I think it's $225. And it's a one-off payment that is good for two version cycles. So I bought my most recent license with Reaper 6. And so I'll get all the updates for Reaper 6 and all the updates for Reaper 7. And I won't have to pay again until Reaper 8 comes out. And the updates come out like every couple of weeks. So this is probably going to last a few years before I even need to think about paying again. If you want to consider Isotope's RX at all, then yes. Otherwise, no. So like so many podcasters, when I first got started, you know, you look online at what everybody recommends. And the number one answer is Audacity. And Audacity being what it is as a destructive editor, I ruined so many projects that I don't even want to think about. Like I get to the end and realize I messed something up. And the only way to fix it was to like control Z all the way back to the beginning or completely start over. So after doing that for a while, I wanted something a little more professional, something just a little bit better. And after looking at different options, I settled on Reaper mainly for its price point and its trial period. So you get 60 days technically, but they don't shut it off. It's completely fully functional. You get a full version of Reaper. But after 60 days, they like remind you like, hey, it's not free. We would like you to pay for it. But if you need to keep evaluating, feel free. So like I probably went like three or four months dabbling in because it was so different before I finally just kind of like uninstalled Audacity from my computer and made myself use Reaper, figured out how to use it efficiently and never looked back. So like because of that trial period where they're not restrictive at all, kind of sealed the deal for me. For me, non-destructive editing coming from Audacity has been a huge game changer. But I think the biggest thing that sets Reaper apart is its customability. You can reset all of your keyboard shortcuts. You can reset any number of actions. Like by default, 
Reaper has a couple hundred actions. When I say actions, it's like splitting the audios in action, copies in action, like reducing the game by 1 dB is an action. So there's a several hundred of these that you can combine into like an action series, essentially, to where like one keystroke can do a whole number of things. And I like, can completely rearrange the workstation. You can change the colors and you can download themes to like really personalize it to your preference. Like if you come from Pro Tools, you can download a Pro Tools theme that makes Reaper look similar to Pro Tools. And then like your ability to customize like what your left click does. If you hit control shift, left click what it does. If you click into like the ability to customize like so many things can be overwhelming, yes. But for me, it really sets it apart like to be able to get it exactly how it works for you. And it's extendable, meaning the community can write their own scripts and like programs essentially. So you can download hundreds of custom actions and a whole bunch of different things that the community has written for Reaper. And that's like truly amazing. The biggest disadvantage is the learning curve. So unlike Audition, which has like Mike Russell and like a lot of resources out there, or Hindenburg, which is like designed for vocal editing, Reaper is 100% geared towards music production. So the entire team, like all, like everything is focused on music and the whole DAW is set up for music. So trying to figure out how to edit and podcast, like coming from like no music background is really tough. And when you get on YouTube, like all the major like channels that where you learn how to use Reaper is all focused on music production. So you have to watch like hours like you had to watch like a 30-minute video because there's like a, a five-minute chunk in there that's relevant. So the learning curve and how to like and getting started is pretty steep. So it's hard for me to say like one dot is better than the other because like at the end of the day, they all essentially do the same thing. It just does it a little bit differently. So it's just a matter of like finding out what button it is on Reaper as opposed to Audition. Uh, but for me, it comes down to the customability and the community behind it that creates all like the scripts that you can put into your own version of Reaper and the price point. Like it's hard to beat 60 bucks for a couple years worth of software that gets you three months with Audition. Not to toot my own horn, but my top tip would be to watch my Reaper getting started guide on YouTube. Like I was saying earlier, Reaper has a really large learning curve and I kind of melt down like all that information out there into like just what you need to know in order to get started. That'd be my number one tip. Number two tip would be to look up the Reaper guide from Podigy. That's another podcast service company. And Riley has written a really incredible article getting started with Reaper. Beyond that is just learn the actions. Set up the custom actions that work for you. So like with one keystroke, you can like highlight a section, cut it, put in crossfades, and then like keep going. Really looking into like what the actions are will help you get a long way. I would retire from podcast editing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'd probably switch to Hindenburg. So Audition, my downside there is a price. Like I have enough monthly charges. I don't need to add another one onto my plate. Whereas Hindenburg is like, you know, one-time license that gets you 
I don't know exactly how long it is, but it's good for a while. And because it's created for journalists, it's designed around editing spoken word. So it has like a lot of really cool tools, like the magic levels. And it's like a lot of stuff that's perfect for podcast editing. So I've switched to Hindenburg. Thanks, Daniel. You can find more of him at Roth Media. You'll also find links to his Reaper group and Reaper tutorial in the show notes. Now we have Brian Ensminger teaching us about the first door in this bunch that's been designed specifically for spoken word. Hindenburg. My name is Brian Ensminger. I'm a podcast editor and a podcaster. I actually started my first show back in 2014 using a Logitech headset and Ecamm call recorder and editing in GarageBand. And I've been through <laughs> all of the pain that goes with that and some of the, the learning as well that goes with that. Logitech headset. Yes. Yes. It was terrible. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> Fast forward about six years or so, and I now edit professionally as a side hustle. I still work full-time, but I edit currently about nine shows at various production rates, primarily using Hindenburg, and then I also lead a community of Hindenburg users on Facebook and try to continue bringing people up to speed on the software that I use and some ways to use it really well and to get what I hope is the most out of it. Hindenburg Journalist has essentially two price points. One is what I would consider the entry level, which is $95 US, and that is a one-time purchase. And then Hindenburg Journalist Pro, which is the version that I use, is available either as $375 US one-time purchase, or you can also rent it if the purchase price is too high, because it can be a little bit expensive. And so they do have that option. Uh, the thing I like about it is if you go for the one-time purchase, you get all of the updates until the next full number update. So I've been running since about 2016, so around five years or so, and I've bought Hindenburg once, and I haven't had to pay for an update since then. So that's the pricing structure. I occasionally use Reaper, and I use it primarily for collaboration. When I was thinking about a different DAW. So I had started with GarageBand, and then for a while I edited with Twisted Wave, which is similar to Audacity in that it's a destructive editor. And I knew that I wanted to go to a non-destructive editor, and I wasn't sure what I wanted. And so I was looking at several options. I looked at Reaper, Adobe Audition, I looked at the price tag for Pro Tools, and then I also looked at Hindenburg. And what really kind of drew me toward Hindenburg was it had a number of features built in built-in noise reduction. At the time, it had a Skype integration that worked really well. So this is like pre-Zoom when Skype was essentially the thing. There was uh, the clipboard, so you could put clips together and then put them off to the side to use them later if you wanted to edit a portion and then move it aside. There was an auto level on import. Think of it like loudness matching where you bring a file in and it automatically levels it to minus 24 lefts or something like that. It was a one-time purchase, which was a big deal for me. That was a big deterrent for Adobe Audition. And then also they had these one-click publishing destinations. So if I used a media host like Libsyn, which is what I was using at the time, I could set up that destination and basically pre-populate a macro that said, when I export it, 
you're going to export it and to this file format. You're going to convert it like this, match this loudness target on export, and then send it over here and send this data over to Libsyn all at the same time, which really helped streamline my workflow. And that's, I think, really kind of what drew me toward Hindenburg was that it was powerful, but it did a lot of stuff for me if I wanted to set it up that way. I think one of the biggest advantages for Hindenburg, and not everybody sees this as an advantage, but it is a dialogue-first, editing-first solution. It's not built for mixing first with all of the stuff that goes into mixing, which is great stuff. Don't get me wrong. I, I love that stuff, but it's built for dialogue. So it can appear stripped down. A lot of people that have a background in Pro Tools or Reaper or something like that where they want to do submixes might get themselves upset. But it's focused on, I need to capture a story, whatever, we'll just call any interview or whatever, that's a story. I need to capture a story, I need to get it cleaned up and get it ready for publishing as quickly as possible. And it's really set up for that. And then one of the things that they've added over the last couple of years that for me, I see as a real game changer is the ability to open sessions from another DAW and work in them. And then in some cases, even export them. So I was using that this week. I, I picked up a show where the host is a Pro Tools user, audio engineer, great at what he does, but doesn't have the time to do this. I can take his Pro Tools session and I can open it up in Hindenburg. Now, Hindenburg has a little bit of trouble interpreting things, but the session is all there. I can do the same thing with an Adobe Audition session. I have one client who works primarily in video. He likes the Adobe suite. He just exports the audio as an audition file. And then I can take that and open it up in Hindenburg with whatever content cuts that he's already made. And I can work with that. And then in the case of Pro Tools, I could also then export that back as an AAF file. So then a Pro Tools user could take my edits and put them back into their DAW if they wanted to take the edits and do more mixing. So it, it really has a lot of functionality now that it maybe didn't have a few years ago that I think are just like super big game changers for those that really want to focus on the editing, but have the ability to work with people that prefer something else. I think there are a few things, depending on what you want to do, that Hindenburg could be lacking. And I will say my focus is on podcasting and spoken word production. So I'm not thinking from a music standpoint. If you want to do music, Hindenburg is not the software for you. It's not built for that. One thing that I would really love for it to have is a strip silence function like what Pro Tools has. Reaper has something similar. I'm not talking about truncate silence where it just smooshes everything together. I'm talking about sort of like a gate level and it non-destructively strips that stuff out. It doesn't have one of those. The built-in effects are good, but they're fairly limited. It's got a sort of like a channel strip in that it's got a, what they call a voice profile and that will do EQ and compression all at once. It's got an EQ, it's got a compressor, it's got a loudness meter, noise reduction. But then in terms of like on each track, you only have six inserts for plugins, which typically is not too limiting for a podcast, but it would be nice from time to time to have more than that. So I, th I think on the mixing side, it's lacking. That's by design. And that can be sometimes a challenge. Overall, I still think it's the right design choice, but you know, it's that tension. For my purpose, Hindenburg is the best DAW, I think for me, because of the focus on the editing and the way that they make it easier to do good detailed editing quickly. 
So if I think about, I'm very bad at Reaper, but if I were to try and do in Reaper what I do, I would be constantly flipping back and forth between like a ripple delete. I think it's called a ripple delete in Reaper for all tracks or one track and, or just cutting and not removing the silent, like all of that kind of stuff to keep everything lined up. Hindenburg does a really good job with that. It has the ability to apply what I would call a ripple delete to just one track or to three tracks or however many, just based on what you select, like it's smart enough to do that. The focus is on the story first. So the clipboards, the ability to see the dialogue. And then we talked a little bit about this, but for me, trying to work with other producers or other podcasters who have a different DAW preference, that ability to open a session so that we can either trade that back or forth, or I can just take theirs and start working in it has been huge for me because then I'm not limited. I don't have to say, you know, send me the stems or send me the raw audio. I can say, send me the whole session and I'll work with that. So you, if you want to make content cuts, you can, but they're non-destructive. So I'm not dealing with somebody that cuts half a breath and now I've got to figure out what to do with half a breath. As long as they sent me the session, I can just correct it. It's not that hard. It's super easy. I think the first tip is probably just the tip that I would give for anybody using any piece of software that you want to get good at, and that is learn the keyboard shortcuts. If you want to be good at it, learn the keyboard shortcuts. You just have to do that. In terms of working with Hindenburg, I would say that for me, the ability to click on a track and then with the keyboard shortcut select everything on all tracks to the right in terms of the timeline has been a real game changer. So if I need to extend a breath because it got partially cut or I need to ch- shift the timing or something, that has been a real game changer. The selective, what I'll call ripple delete, they call it something else, but being able to do essentially a ripple delete on one or on all tracks. And then also the ability to link tracks can be super valuable. So I've got one right now where I'm working on five tracks. And once I've got that many, it's really easy to get stuff out of sync if you're selecting stuff. And so what I've done is I've linked the tracks. And if I select one to make a cut, it selects all of the tracks that have been linked so that I'm making that cut across all of them at the same time so that my ripple deletes don't get all messed up. Because otherwise, it becomes this nightmare of trying to align stuff. And it's killed me in the past. (laughs) If Hindenburg wasn't an option, I think Reaper is probably the DAW that I would choose. And that's partly because of the purchase price, either $60 or $300, depending on how much money you make from podcast editing or whatever you do with it. One-time purchase, upgrades for a version or two. I don't remember how long that runs. Very powerful, very customizable. I'm not as good at it, but I know that I could get good at it if I put the time in. Thank you, Brian. You can find out more about Brian at Top Tier Audio. Lastly, we have David Chatsiliadis, waxing lyrical about a very powerful door that isn't often used for podcasting, Ableton. Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Dave, and I'm a audio video editor based in the UK, and I primarily use Ableton. The introductory tier is 69 British pounds, which comes to about 85 bucks USD. And that pretty much, as far as podcasts go, has everything you need. So you can have 16 channels. It's got a bunch of effects, like basic EQs, compressors you can use. And that's all you need. I've personally never used more than 16 tracks in a podcast, unless it's some kind of specific audio drama with loads of sound effects and stuff. But the introductory tier is like what you need for podcasts, I think.
I do use a couple more DAWs just because of functionality and workflow. So I do a lot of video editing. So if I'm using Premiere Pro, I'll use dynamic link to link audition and edit what I need to because audition has got destructive feature as well. So I'll just go in, denoise stuff, treat what I need to treat and then save it. And that just saves it into Premiere Pro as well. So I don't have to export anything, drag it into another audio workstation. The workflow is just seamless. And then because Ableton only exports in high quality, so it'll give you WAV files and then MP3s only export at 320 kbps. What I do is export in WAV and then drop it into Audacity and then just export the MP3 from there. It just has a few more options in Audacity. So I'm quite familiar in a few DAWs. So the reason I chose a specific DAW for podcasts was I wanted to get really good at one audio workstation and figure out a way of doing everything I can in one ecosystem. I watched loads of tutorials on every possible digital audio workstation. And the way I saw people use Ableton was unreal. And I've kind of settled with Ableton because it's got that hybrid feature where you can use it for audio, but also it ha handles music stuff ridiculously well. Some of the biggest advantages as far as podcasts go with Ableton, you can set RX Audio Editor as your sample editor in Ableton. So sometimes I'll have clients where their phone rings in between a phrase or like a high pitched noise comes in. Well, what we can do in Ableton is take that two, three second clip, consolidate it, and then edit it in RX. So you can just drop it in RX, do what you need to do, use a spectrogram if you have to and be super detailed. It takes a couple of minutes and then save it. And then that's automatically in Ableton. So you don't have to export, re-import anything. So that's something I use all the time. I've never had it crash. It handles plugins amazingly well. Literally have had no problems. Some disadvantages that this DAW has, because I've researched a bunch of other ones, there are a few features that I wish Ableton had that, in my honest opinion, I don't think they're coming anytime soon because it's not optimized for podcasts. So one would be speed. So the listen through speed, having like one and a half times speed, two times speed. There's definitely a way of doing it. That's probably something I need to figure out. The other thing is... I like a feature that Studio One has that somebody showed me where, say you've got the ripple delete function, say the client comes back and says, hey, actually that piece of audio you've cut out, can you stick it back in? In any other workstation, audio workstation, you would have to create the space and then extend the clip. But in Studio One, there's a feature where you can literally drag the clip out and then like a magnetic editor, like Final Cut, you can just drag it back in and it de-ripples it. That's a pretty cool feature. And I was like, ah, oh, I wish that one was in Ableton. And then the other one that I'm pretty sure I've seen people use in Pro Tools is you can apply effects to a specific clip on your track and kind of like print that effect on that little clip. That's not something you can do in Ableton unless I use a sample editor and throw stuff in RX and do what I need to do, and then back into Ableton. So, I mean, those are two features. I'm like, two or three features. I was like, I wish they were there, but you find workarounds. The reason Ableton is better than other DAWs is 
very subjective and it depends on how you work and what your workflow is. It's such a powerful tool and it's an industry standard now. Everybody knows Ableton, especially in the music world. I think Ableton, Pro Tools and Logic are the three that I've seen studios use quite a bit. And like Reaper and Hinderberg and all the ones that people use primarily for podcasts. They're great tools for podcasts, but personally, I wouldn't be able to get better at music production using those tools. And that's why, for me at least, Ableton's just been great. One of the features that's not very clear in Ableton is Ripple Delete. Now, Ripple Delete is called Delete Time. It does the same thing. What I've done is through in the Apple ecosystem, you can set a shortcut for a function in Ableton. So there's a way of doing it. But that was one of the things, delete time is a bit of a weird one to get around. Once you get that, I've kind of, it's a three key shortcut for me. Another thing I use in Ableton is to delete a clip. So I just use the cut tool. So it's command X on my computer. So if I'm listening to a track and sometimes you have two or three tracks, instead of putting a gate on another track, which I, I never like doing, I'll just delete when the speaker's not talking. So I'll just do that really quick, just command X, which is usually your cut, you know, every program out there, cut and paste, I guess. Another one is definitely set your sample editor as RX, audio editor, and just save yourself a whole lot of time and hassle. If Ableton was erased from the planet for the face of the earth, I'd probably be screwed to start off with, <laughs> to be honest. But I'd probably lean towards Pro Tools or Studio One, because I've seen similar workflows. Maybe Studio One, because I think it's a one-time fee. You don't have to subscribe to anything. And I've already got too many subscriptions. So the one-time fee would be a lot more attractive, I'd say. A huge thank you to Dave. Check him out at Heavy Reverb. I want to again thank all of the amazing audio experts that gave their time to share their knowledge about audio editing doors with us today please take a look at the show notes and go and check out their websites and follow them on social media. You're also going to hear more from each one of these experts in future episodes. So I hope this episode has shed some light on your options, confused the hell out of you, and made your decision impossible. I wish you the best of luck researching and testing and eventually choosing the software that's going to work for you, your workflow, your style, your creativity, and ultimately, your listeners. Remember to get in touch if you have any questions or praise or gifts. Email me at kane at precisionpodcasting.com or get in touch through the website at precisionpodcasting.com. Till next time. This podcast was created by Precision Podcasting. We make podcasts sound better. For more about what we do, resources on podcasting, and if you'd like to get in touch, visit precisionpodcasting.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pippa Precision Pippa Podcasting. Yes, that is spelled the way it sounds. If you'd like to hear more episodes, make sure to hit subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>